Welcome to Above Avalon. This is episode 175, iPhone at a Billion. Hi, I'm Neil. Earlier this month, we saw Apple unveil its latest flagship iPhones. A more interesting development occurred with the iPhone last month. Apple surpassed the billion iPhone users milestone. There are now a billion people using iPhones. This is a great opportunity to take a closer look at the iPhone business. How have iPhone sales been trending? Has Apple actually experienced peak iPhone? Will it ever be able to sell more iPhones than it did at its previous high point in the past? Who are buying new iPhones these days? Where is Apple turning to for those new users? Where is the iPhone's place in Apple's mission to grab 2 billion users? We could also look at the product itself. What are Apple's top priorities for iPhone in the coming years? 13 years after going on sale, the iPhone remains the perennial most popular and best-selling smartphone. Competitors continue to either shamelessly copy iPhone or, at a minimum, be heavily influenced by the iPhone. Looking ahead, I think there's going to be some interesting things happening with the iPhone. Because here you have a device that is continuing to be at the center of people's lives. But at the same time, we see Apple recognizing the paradigm shift ushered in by wearables. That makes me think the next 10 years for iPhone are going to remain very interesting. At this point, there is value in taking a closer look at how the iPhone is doing from a sales perspective. Over the past two years, iPhone sales have experienced notable gyrations. In early 2019, Apple saw material weakness in iPhone sales. Apple pointed to deteriorating economic conditions in China related to U.S. trade tensions as the primary culprit. At the time, there was also evidence that you had slowing upgrading in some other countries, but China really was at the center of the issue. Tim Cook faced some skepticism when making that claim about China. There were a number of allegations thrown at Tim Cook around this time, but it seemed like the main one was that he was off the mark in blaming deteriorating economic conditions for weak iPhone sales. Instead, the issue was that people were moving away from the Apple brand. And maybe that movement was tied to U.S. trade tensions. The thing is, some people have been saying that about Apple in China for years. Whenever Apple revenue growth trends in China takes a dip, you have people saying, oh, this is it. People are finally turning against the Apple brand. In reality, the slower growth is primarily due to iPhone users not upgrading. It's not that these users are fleeing iOS or fleeing the iPhone. Instead, they are content using whatever iPhone they currently have. As it turned out, Tim Cook's claim about weak iPhone sales being primarily due to deteriorating economic conditions in China was later proven to be legitimate. A number of other companies went on to describe a similar slowdown in demand for their own products. When looking at iPhone unit sales on a trailing 12-month basis, and that does a good job at removing some seasonality from the business, iPhone unit sales dropped by about 12% early 2019. Apple had been at a 220 million iPhone per year annual sales pace, and that dipped down to a pace around 190 million units per year. Around this time, the iPhone narratives flying around the press turned very negative. An increasing number of publications and writers, pundits, and analysts were starting to talk about 
people fleeing the iPhone ecosystem, embracing Android. Of course, there was the continued narrative of Apple desperate for growth, trying to find revenue growth wherever they can. Oh, so that would explain why Apple was pushing into services. Got it. Of course, those narratives are all wrong. One reason that these narratives seemed to get a lot of momentum at the time was that as iPhone sales encountered some weakness, Apple held that services event. This was in early 2019. The event was about Apple unveiling its revamped content distribution strategy. And most of the products and services announced at that event had been in the works for a while. But some people looked at that event, they then looked at what was going on with iPhone sales, and they said, well, these have to be related. The only reason Apple was moving into these services is because iPhone sales are getting weaker. This created a massive blind spot in the press when it came to the iPhone business. Because as the narrative turned negative and people were saying, this might be it for the iPhone business, this is probably going to be the peak for sales. You're going to see weakness from here on out. When you take a look at what was going on, there was a gradual improvement in customer demand. To be more precise, it seemed like upgrading picked up a little bit. New user trends likely picked up a little bit. This continued into the second half of 2019. And actually, it was going into the beginning of 2020 before the pandemic hit. When we look at iPhone sales, where they are today, they are back above a 200 million annual pace. And so that means that they are about 13% below the unit sales high experience in 2015. Over at AboveAvalon.com in this week's article titled A Billion iPhone Users, I have Exhibit 1, which has iPhone unit sales on a trailing 12-month basis. And you could see all of these developments sort of playing themselves out. The drop in iPhone unit sales is pretty notable, right around the end of 2018, early 2019. But you also start to see that improvement, that gradual improvement in demand. Despite that improvement, you do have iPhone unit sales not at the level that they were in 2015. So at a glance, if you look at this exhibit, it may suggest that the iPhone business has lost some of the shine that it had in the mid-2010s. Why else would unit sales be trending either flat or down? And I think it's logical that some people hold that view. The problem here is that relying too much on just unit sales would lead to a misreading of the situation. Unit sales don't tell us the full story about the iPhone business. This is the primary reason behind Apple's decision in late 2018 to stop providing unit sales data on a quarterly basis. Wall Street was incorrectly using unit sales as a crutch for shoddy analysis. Flat to down iPhone unit sales do not automatically mean iPhone business fundamentals have deteriorated. Instead, a longer upgrade cycle can be a leading factor behind declining unit sales. There are also drawbacks to unit sales. They don't tell us anything about customer loyalty or satisfaction rates. Those are crucial items when it comes to a customer's decision to continue using a product. In order to reach more valuable insights regarding the iPhone business, I took unit sales data and I added granularity. Instead of looking at sales just in terms of the number of units shipped from a factory, I took into account who bought iPhones. Customers upgrading to a new iPhone 
or customers buying their first new iPhone. I derive estimates for those variables using my iPhone install base model. This model tracks when customers enter the install base. I actually group people into specific categories depending on when they enter the install base. And then I monitor upgrading patterns based on when they did enter the install base. That kind of granularity is very important when it comes to estimating iPhone unit sales going forward. Knowing that you had 2015 and 2016 be huge years for new users entering the iPhone install base, that is going to impact your assumptions for upgrading trends. This is why Exhibit 2 in this week's article over at AboveAllen.com is so important. It tracks iPhone unit sales mix between iPhone upgraders versus new users to the iPhone. And what you'll see is that over time, the percentage of iPhones going to iPhone upgraders has steadily increased. On the flip side, the percentage of iPhone unit sales going to new users has steadily declined. The iPhone business has turned into an upgrading business. While Apple is still bringing in 20 million to 30 million new iPhone users each year, the percentage of overall iPhone sales going to new users has steadily declined. For fiscal year 2020, my estimate is that iPhone sales to new users will likely end up being less than 20% of overall iPhone sales. That's an all-time low. The takeaway here is that iPhone upgrading patterns plays a big role on unit sales. And so when you see unit sales for iPhone go down, it doesn't necessarily mean that people are fleeing the iPhone. It doesn't mean that there are fewer people using iPhones. Instead, it is far more likely that people who have iPhones, they're just holding on to them for longer. You don't see as much upgrading. We will talk about this next point in greater detail in a few minutes, but the reverse is also true here. If you see upgrading increase or simply more people be in a position to upgrade their iPhone, iPhone unit sales are likely going to benefit. You're going to see higher unit sales. It doesn't automatically mean that all of these new users are now buying an iPhone. While quarterly iPhone unit sales contain an inherent amount of volatility, installed base totals do a better job of monitoring iPhone fundamentals over the long run. The iPhone install base is defined as the total number of people using an iPhone. That includes new iPhones, but it also includes used iPhones. And so if you had an iPhone and you passed it down to a family member or a friend and now they're using your old iPhone, they are included as part of the iPhone install base. A shrinking iPhone install base would raise a number of warning signs for Apple, as it would suggest people have been switching to Android. A growing iPhone install base would suggest Apple continues to see new users embrace the iPhone for the first time. In order to estimate and track the iPhone install base, we need two variables. The first one is the number of people who purchase and continue to use a new iPhone from Apple or third-party retailer. The second variable is the number of people who are using an iPhone obtained via the gray market. These iPhones have either been passed down through families and friends, or they've been resold to new users via a web of retailers and distributors. 
By combining the two groups, one is able to derive estimates for the total number of iPhones in the wild. Although Apple does not disclose this install base figure on a quarterly basis, the company did mention that the iPhone install base surpassed 900 million devices by the end of 2018. Exhibit 3 in this week's Above Avalon article shows my estimates for the Apple install base over the years. So that's starting from 2008 to 2020. The iPhone install base has grown each year since launch and recently surpassed a billion people. If you're interested in more of the details as to how I reach these iPhone install base estimates, I do make my methodology available for Above Avalon members. So I'll talk a little bit about that at the end of the episode. After graphing the iPhone install base over the years, it becomes pretty clear that the pace of growth in the iPhone install base has slowed in recent years. There are two factors behind this. The first is that we are seeing high smartphone penetration in many markets. The second is that Apple has been successful in targeting the premium end of the smartphone market. This means that in order to bring new people into the iPhone install base, Apple will either have to appeal to those still using premium Android smartphones, in which the loyalty will be much higher there, or Apple will have to appeal to lower price segments. And it doesn't necessarily mean that they have to come up with a lower-priced iPhone. You could address that via the gray market. So as iPhones re-enter the market from the original owner to eventually a new owner, you will see that pricing fall and the iPhone becomes more accessible. This explains why Apple is still bringing in approximately 20 million to 30 million new iPhone users per year. These users are then prime candidates for moving deeper into the Apple ecosystem by purchasing other Apple devices and services. The strong growth trends that we see with iCloud storage, Apple's content distribution services, things like Apple Watch, AirPods, even iPad and Mac, are made possible by hundreds of millions of people moving beyond just owning an iPhone to having additional Apple services and devices in their lives. At this point of the discussion, we will focus on iPhone priorities. Looking ahead, Apple has three primary priorities or goals for the iPhone. Push camera technology boundaries, increase the value found with iPhone ownership, and increase the number of roles handled by the iPhone. We will go over each one briefly. When thinking about the iPhone feature that will lead the way over the next 5 to 10 years, more powerful cameras are high on the list. For the past few years, camera improvements and upgrades have been positioned as the top feature found with new flagship iPhones. We see a similar trend with all the other major smartphone manufacturers. So this has led to a type of camera arms race as each company tries to convince consumers that they have the best camera. It is this arms race over the camera that I think is also contributing to why all these smartphone reviews end up being about the camera. And that's seemingly the only thing that people are talking about. On one level, I think that is logical. It's understandable why that's happening. You can compare photo quality. You can get lost in some of the details. It's something that's updated every year. So if you're a tech gadget reviewer, there's a lot there to talk about. But on a different level, you're starting to get the feeling that none of it matters. People are not going to switch smartphone manufacturers just because of the camera. Instead, this camera arms race is more about customer retention. It's about making sure that your customers aren't getting tempted by looking at the competition. The primary reason Apple and its peers are betting so big on cameras is that they are convinced consumers will find value 
and smarter eyes, cameras that increasingly move into 3D rendering and AR. Advances in computational photography are also leveraged to make it easier for people to take really great photos. While a bet on the camera will turn out to be a good one for Apple, the move doesn't lack risk. As Apple pushes camera technology forward, many existing iPhone users are happy with the iPhone camera that they already own. They are content. This is another reason why when you look at all of these tech gadget reviews, I just don't think they matter anymore. I don't think people really care. I've lost track of the number of times in which I would show someone a new iPhone and maybe the new camera. And I would say, well, here, take a look at this photo. See what you can do. And they would be very impressed. And they would say, I want that. I think that's great. But then they say, when it's time for an upgrade, I'll consider it. They don't look at the camera as a reason for running out to the store and getting that new model. Instead, they are happy with what they have. It is good enough for now. This is why I don't think a certain camera upgrade or a certain new feature would lead to a bump in iPhone upgrading. Instead, there are other factors at play. For Apple, it is far more important to make sure that the latest flagship iPhones have what they view as the best cameras. That way, when it is time for people to upgrade, they don't look at the camera as a reason not to upgrade. For example, well, I really like my camera with this iPhone. I'm not sure about that new iPhone. You obviously don't want that if you're Apple. Another factor behind betting big on iPhone camera technology is that the smartphone form factor remains conducive to bringing powerful cameras to the mass market. While a selfie camera may make sense on the wrists with Apple Watch, it is difficult to see the wrist as a good place for cameras used to capture memories. There is similar hesitation found with the idea of putting such powerful cameras on the face in the form of AR glasses. Therefore, it makes sense that the device held in our hands and stored in our pockets will likely contain the most powerful camera in our lives. This brings us to iPhone value. A major development regarding the iPhone that continues to fly under the radar is the improving value proposition found with owning and using an iPhone. By improving iPhone durability and longevity, Apple ends up strengthening the iPhone's value proposition via higher resale values. If a new iPhone can be recirculated to additional users, the gray market will be strengthened and consumers will find more attractive payment terms and options at time of purchase. An increasing number of iPhone users think about iPhone pricing in terms of monthly payments rather than lump sum. Attractive trade-in offers and payment plans with built-in upgrades only serve to improve the iPhone's value proposition. I think that's going to be a very important thing for Apple to focus on going forward. This brings us to the iPhone's role in our lives. Tim Cook kicked off Apple's high-speed product event earlier this month by referring to the iPhone as the product we use the most every day. He went on to say the iPhone has never been more indispensable than it is now. It is in Apple's best interest to have the iPhone take over an increasing number of roles once given to laptops and desktops, in addition to handling entirely new roles. By increasing our dependency on iPhone today, Apple ends up being in a better position to sell various wearable form factors tomorrow. Wearables are designed to not only handle entirely new tasks, but also take over tasks given to the iPhone. This brings us to the controversial topic of peak iPhone. In fiscal year 2015, Apple sold 231 million iPhones. 
There continues to be a debate regarding whether or not Apple experienced peak iPhone, never exceeding that 231 million unit sales total in a 12-month stretch. As a general rule, one needs to approach peak sales claims very carefully with Apple products. It may be tempting to look at unit sales data and conclude that a lower sales trend won't reverse. However, weaker sales may not be the result of a change in market fundamentals, such as a permanently reduced addressable market or less capable product. A great example of that would be iPad mini. I do think we have experienced peak iPad mini. Why? iPhones have gotten larger. In addition, Apple has become more aggressive in selling larger iPads at lower prices. For other Apple product categories, lower sales may simply reflect a slowdown in upgrading. You don't see a permanently reduced addressable market or a less capable product. Odds are increasing that Apple has not experienced peak iPhone. My fiscal year 2021 iPhone unit sales estimate stands at 241 million units. That's 4% higher than Apple's previous iPhone sales record. My estimate does not assume some kind of mega upgrade cycle kicked off by 5G iPhones. With the iPhone install base having surpassed a billion users and continuing to expand by 20 million to 30 million people each year, Apple is in a good position to grow iPhone unit sales as the iPhone upgrade cycle plateaus between four and five years. This is another way of saying there are now simply more people in a position to upgrade. This is where iPhone's strong resale value enters the picture as well, with consumers embracing various upgrading plans and options made possible by a well-functioning gray market. The iPhone was the largest contributor to Apple growing its overall install base from 125 million people in 2010 to more than a billion people in 2020. Looking ahead, it's fair to wonder if the iPhone will remain Apple's primary new user funnel for the next billion users. A strong case can be made that Apple will continue to rely on the iPhone for new user generation in the near term. While flagship iPhone pricing is aimed at the premium segment of the market, the gray market continues to play its role in expanding the iPhone's reach to lower price segments. A growing number of iPhones won't just have one user or two users, they probably will have three or four users. That kind of development would be made possible by mobile carriers starting to get into the business more of pushing upgrades, trying to get people to think of the iPhone as something that you pay for on a monthly basis, and maybe after a year or two, you simply upgrade and you just continue paying the same price. While all of this is taking place, Apple's also getting that much closer to launching its face wearable strategy, requiring early versions of face wearables, AR, VR glasses, to work with an iPhone is logical when thinking about the limited amount of space for technology found with a pair of thin and light glasses. Over time, we can't ignore the new user growth potential found with Apple wearables. Apple Watch remains on its march to full independency from the iPhone. A truly independent Apple Watch would expand the product's addressable market by threefold. AirPods are similarly well-positioned for appealing to Android users around the world. This brings us to India. The country will likely play a crucial role in Apple's strategy of bringing hundreds of millions of new people into the ecosystem. As wearables make technology more personal, the product category's addressable market will only expand. While the iPhone may have been responsible for Apple getting to a billion users, wearables have a decent shot of getting Apple to 2 billion users. That will do it for today's episode. 
As mentioned earlier in the episode, if you're interested in the methodology that I use to reach my iPhone install base estimates, I will include a few links in the show notes to daily updates that went over the topic. Those daily updates are available to above Avalon members. If you enjoy the analysis and perspective found in this podcast episode and in the weekly articles over at AboveAvalon.com, I think you'll be interested in receiving my exclusive daily updates about Apple. These updates are emails. Each one is 2,000 words and typically covers three stories. I talk about everything from Apple business and strategy analysis, my perspective and observations on current news and Apple competitors, my financial estimates for Apple, and my coverage of Apple earnings, product events, and keynotes. One way these updates stand apart from what else is available in the marketplace is that everything I talk about ultimately comes back to Apple. Apple doesn't operate in a vacuum. Accordingly, I talk about plenty of other topics such as Disney, Google, Facebook, Netflix, and the list goes on. I will talk about industries that Apple may be thinking about entering. But with each one of those topics, I ultimately come back to how Apple approaches those companies. How does Apple think about those new industries? In my view, that is a much better way of analyzing Apple than going the other way, starting with the tech industry and then focusing on Apple. To receive these daily updates directly in your inbox, all you have to do is become an Above Avalon member. Head on over to AboveAvalon.com and then go to the membership page. There are two membership options available. It's either $20 per month or $200 per year. In addition to receiving the daily updates in written form via email, members also have the option of receiving the daily updates in audio form. There is an exclusive daily podcast available for members called Above Avalon Daily. Each episode is approximately 15 minutes and closely follows that day's daily update. The Above Avalon Daily podcast is available as an add-on that is attached to an Above Avalon membership. That add-on is either $10 per month or $100 per year. To get a feel for the podcast, I do have two sample podcast episodes available over at AboveAvalon.com. Just go to the daily podcast page. In addition, I also have a few sample written daily updates available over at the daily updates page. I am proud to say that Above Avalon is fully sustained by membership. So if you are currently an Above Avalon member, thank you for your support. And if you are planning on becoming an Above Avalon member, thank you in advance. And I give you an early welcome. With that, I will conclude today's episode. I will talk to you all later. Bye.